Right now, you can take a picture of a flower in a garden and post it on social media to see if anybody knows what kind of flower it is. You might also take a picture of a jacket when you're window shopping and aim to go on Google later on and see if you can find that similar jacket for purchase. But wouldn't it be nice if a machine could identify that picture that you just took, exactly what is that kind of flower, exactly what is that jacket, and maybe even allow you to buy it if you wanted to. That's the problem that Egal Rachel Gauss, who is the CEO at Cortica, is working on at his company, which is based in Israel, a machine vision company that is not focused on deep learning. Uh, he articulates the approach that Cortica is taking, uh, inspired by neurology, as opposed to the academic approach currently in machine vision and where he believes the differing really lies there and what particular goals he's aiming to achieve with the future of machine vision as he sees it in terms of consumer application. A lot of interesting ideas on the tech talked about as well as Egal's own predictions for what might be useful use cases for more advanced machine vision in the coming five years or so. Hope that you all enjoy this episode. This is Egal with Cortico. So, Egal, first and foremost, we're talking about machine vision here. Uh, Cortica, I mean, that's, that's where you guys are really knuckled down in terms of your applications. I've had enough machine vision folks on this program to shake a stick at from Georgia Tech and you know, University of Toronto and you name it. And, and you know, deep neural networks is often really what's brought up. You know, uh, and, and you, you folks at Cortica are aiming to sort of differentiate in the sense that you're not going for that kind of a deep architecture. And you're also not using supervised learning methods. You have an emphasis on unsupervised. Talk us through kind of in layman's terms what those differentiators are in, in the approach. Yeah, that, that, that's right. So first of all, as you mentioned, we, we can take every machine learning system and break it to three basic elements or components. One is the architecture, how the system is, uh, what it's composed of and what its basic uh, design principles. The second one is the learning algorithm, how the system actually learns. And the third one is the data set. Uh, so start from the architecture. Uh, Cortica approach is actually inspired by uh, how our cortex uh, works and what is the structure of this cortex. And as we know, our brain is in not a very deep architecture. We don't have hundreds or thousands of layers. Uh, so cortical architecture is indeed very flat. We have very few layers that project the input space into a very high dimensional space. And solving this problem of recognition with this new space of high dimensionality and extreme compression. Uh, the other element is the learning algorithm. If you look at the supervised approach, essentially it's a top-down approach where we define for the system what it should learn. We build data sets, and that's what is used today for deep learning. We define this is a cat and this is not a cat. Yeah. And we build a lot of different training sets for training different objects. Uh, our approach, which is unsupervised, is the, based on... Uh, the principle of letting the system to process a huge amount of random images or in general random data. And by doing that, the system builds its knowledge database bottom up. It finds commonalities and common patterns and common elements in random images. And then it learns to automatically represent them in a clear structure and taxonomy of this learned concept. And of course, the third element is, is the data set. Once we have this flat architecture and the ability to learn in unsupervised way, to self-learn, 
the data set doesn't have to be manually operated. It doesn't have to be structured into certain predefined categories or objects or labels. We just can let the system see through those images, process those images, cluster those images. And once we have this internal representation of the visual world, uh, the bottom-up approach uh, using the principle of labeling after the learning. So the association between the text and the visual information happens only after the system already was able to cluster and to learn the new objects in the world. Interesting. So, and again, we're, we're, a lot of this is sort of metaphorical for the folks tuned in, likely myself included for a good portion of this. But just to, to sort of flesh this out into examples and an understanding, on the demo on your, on your website, Cortica, there is an example of someone zooming into an image of a particular kind of frog, uh, the, the kind of frog that you simply would not know off the top of your head, uh, but the machine pulls up its uh, species name, you know, Latin name. Now, I can imagine that a machine can, uh, you know, in, in an unsupervised fashion, clump together from millions and millions of images the five or six or seven of them that really are that exact frog, that that would be a, a reasonable task uh, for a machine in, in, in that kind of a context. Um, to give it its proper name, though, it, it would need to be drawing from some kind of a source. Um, after all that clustering, of course, we wouldn't assume that the machine would give it the right name. In other words, a name that we could understand. It might give us, you know, uh, provide some sort of a long code for what this cluster represents. How does that naming after the clumping happen? Yeah, so, so that's right. First of all, the machines have unique advantages over human beings to memorize a huge amount of data. And we definitely leverage that in our uh, system of uh, building those concepts and associating them with labels. Uh, the resource of those labels comes, of course, from the web. So we have today on the web uh, billions, maybe over the few trillions of images, where a small minority of those images do have some metadata. Many images are just uploaded with no metadata, but there are a few percent out of those trillions that actually have some keywords and categories and labels associated to them. Huh. So, okay. so what our system does is having this principle of first clustering the images that don't have to be labeled into those concepts and compressing them into very unique representation. The second process is matching the images that have some metadata, which can be not reliable at all, and finding commonalities within the metadata of the images that actually matched. Uh, so as I mentioned, the process is bottom up. It's not top down. We are not starting from text and creating the concepts or objects. We are starting from images that yeah. drive certain concepts. And later, those concepts are being just associated with common keywords. Got it. Okay. So, so you are, um, in essence, I mean, the corollary here is to sort of the, the, the way that we would, we would learn ourselves, right? If, if you gave me a picture of that frog and I'm a human being, you gave me a picture of that frog on a postcard and I started Googling frogs, I would start, you know, saving a whole bunch of tabs of pictures of that frog. And if I had to know its name and you never told it to me, I would have to, pull together all those various images, see what do all these different people call it, and based on some kind of consensus from all of that, figure out what I'm going to call this frog. And what you're saying is that your system is aiming to do the same thing. It's matching the images, then it's saying, who's calling this thing what? And then it's figuring out via some sort of a, you know an algorithm and some kind of an approach, what is most likely to be the name for this particular thing? 
That's absolutely right. Yeah, we're okay. using the collective knowledge of many users yes. and the scattered metadata over the web to finally uh, label the image correctly. Got it. And, and like any human, there's a possibility of getting it wrong, but I suppose the benefit here is that you can do so much of this if a human ha doesn't have to jump into the loop that you know a, a couple errors in the scientific name of a couple types of frogs you know, may or may not make that much of a difference if you can compile images of any animal you want sort of at will. So you, yeah, you're, yeah. Mm -hmm. you've exactly. got, the, the you assumption, the very basic assumption here is that mistakes are not consistent. Yep. If there is, a, you know, uh, all the people label it uh, in, uh, in the wrong way, of course, the system will learn it as well. But yep. then, you know, that's the right way to label it. I can, see, I can see the logic there. The other portion of what you brought up, which I think is interesting, and, and there were a couple words that, that you had used that I, I know aren't going to ring a bell with the folks at home, and so I want to just address again and touch on it. You talked about modeling what you folks are doing off of the way that the human brain works. My own background's more on the cognitive science side, and so neuroscience is going to be a little bit more familiar from graduate school than linear algebra, which I, you know, was, not a, was not a graduate school focus topic for me in, in those days. Um, mm -hmm. uh, when, when you talk about how our own mind uh, does not leverage networks of the same depth that folks are sort of leaning into now in order to solve these current image problems, talk about how that same kind of recognition and search can be done in an architecture that, that doesn't have that kind of depth. How, how, does, how are you hypothesizing the brain does this and how are you aiming to model that in machines in as close to layman's terms as you can? Yeah, so, so the inspiration to cortical technology actually came from computational neuroscience and from empirical observations into the cortex. We were uh, using some measurements on the, on the neocortex of unborn rats in oh. a very interesting setup of the ex vivo. So actually, if you think about uh, trying to uh, hack into the system that is, is like a brain, we have an interface into a real living tissue, a piece of a cortex, that we could inject electrical signals and read out electrical signals. Uh, of, of course, the motivation is, you know, that rats and monkeys and cats and people can recognize exceptionally well natural signals, yep. specifically voices and, and images and so on. And the idea was to try to, instead of inventing a new feature or a new algorithm or building more layers, just trying to understand and mimic and simulate how living or biologic, neurobiological systems do that uh, task. So we know from computational neuroscience that the, the brain is not a very deep architecture. We know that actually the brain has very few layers. So there must be, a, and that was the underlying assumption of the research, a completely different computational principle. It's not about training each layer and then building another layer and another layer. And through this uh, process of taking a real biological reference, we started to build a computational mathematical model. Now, of course, we were not interested, you know, to replicate one-to-one -one because the biological part is less interesting. But the idea was to find what is the minimal model that still can keep the computational power of the biological reference. Yeah. And uh, what we believe in Cortica, that we actually have that. We have a very flat architecture that is not deep at all. It's inspired by the cortex. And the computational principles are very similar. They're not supervised compared to, you know, a training set that you need now to train the layer for a specific task. In contrast, our system is absorbing information and optimized for a certain content domain, like images in general. Later, it can just take new images and project those images into very efficient representations, what we call cortical signatures, that eventually can be clustered, 
uh, associated with metadata and, and so on. Huh. And I guess one would assume, or, or one might, I suppose, yeah, anybody that's maybe read up on, you know, the literature in the academic domain of, of sort of where the progress in machine vision uh, is coming through as of late might say, well, you know, if, if an architecture that isn't deep is working, you know, well, wouldn't it, wouldn't it just be better if it was deeper? But maybe there is, in fact, a downside to that. Is that something that you folks are aiming to find? It sounds as though more might not be better uh, because I, I suppose if it was, you would just add on more. Is there something about the more minimal approach that produces a better result here? Yeah, of course. So, of course, the computational uh, power is an important element. Uh, you know, the natural uh, instinct when you have very difficult problems in terms of when, you know, researchers approach the problem is to throw at the problem more and more computational power. Yes. So, so do more layers, do more servers and so on. Uh, and the idea to restrict that was a, a constraint that we looked from biology, which led us not just to have a flat architecture, because as you say, you could use now this flat architecture and build on top of that another layer and another layer. But the constraint of using a flat architecture led us to a different learning algorithm, which is not supervised. So we are not talking more about uh, training the neurons or you know, connections between neurons to recognize specific objects. We are talking about absorbing the information and creating the right representation for all the images. Now, if we look at this problem from this angle, we get into a point that using more layers actually can lead to degradation of the performance. So there is some number of optimal layers that eventually is, is giving the best results. Interesting. Yeah, because I suppose you would assume, particularly you know, if you're diving into uh, where a lot of the headway has been made in the last three, four years, Man, let's let's get some more layers on this thing. Um, but at the same point, yeah, it's, it's it's curious that there are constraints in that direction as well. I didn't want to get hung up there, but I, I found that to be kind of a curious bit. In terms of where this can be applied, I know you folks have a bit of a timeline from us talking off mic in terms of where you see the applications for improved machine vision. And I know an application that you're excited about now is in the mobile space. Um, what would better image recognition and, and better intelligence around visual data allow for folks in sort of the mobile space? What are the applications you're excited about today? Yeah, so, so I think we all as users experience today that we are like overwhelmed by the thousands or ten thousands of images that we and our friends and family and colleagues produce. Yes. And those images are either stored on our phone or cloud or they're shared through social media, but in any way they, they aggregate and they create huge volumes most of those images are very valuable and users would like to keep them and organize them. And I think the uh, value of computer vision and deep image understanding is, is key in this area. If uh, there is a system that can automatically, without training, in a generic way to organize all these photos in a meaningful way, when I say meaningful way, I mean not just recognizing mechanical objects like you know a cat, a door, a car and so on, but really to understand from the pictures, let's say this is my family and not just you know people. Yeah. This is my home. This is my car, and to understand the context and organize. This is a business trip versus a travel uh, versus a vacation, and organize the the photos in 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 stories that can be easily managed by the users. We see today it as a killer application for private uh, photo sharing and organization. Got it. So that's kind of a, a consumer use case would be a better contextual. And I think, you know, we have, um, 
you know, and this is, I suppose, more limited, I believe, than what you're articulating there. But, you know, if, if you're taking a bunch of photos with your iPhone, I think it, it may be possible to say, you know, show me all the pictures that I took, you know, during my trip to, I don't know, Cambridge, Massachusetts or something. And, and you, may, you may be able to, to find those images based on that location information. But yeah, like you had mentioned, all the pictures of my home, uh, all the pictures of my family, these are kind of abstract notions that currently you can't sort of easily shake out of a bucket of 200 pictures. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Uh, and, and I think to, to make it even more actionable, one of the pieces of the technology that we have developed is organizing these images according to the audiences, because we, we do believe that most of the usage today of photos is for sharing. People take a huge amount of photos that are eventually being shared with their friends and family yep. and social media and so on. So helping the user and organizing the photos according to their purpose, uh, to the people that they will eventually share it, is a very important contextual problem. So to understand that those pictures might be of interest to your colleagues, but those pictures might be of interest to your family is, is a very interesting task that requires both understanding of the deep context of the images, but also the connections between the various images across users' albums. Oh, man. Yeah, that, that's a relatively large nut to crack, I guess. The other space that I, for, to the best of my knowledge, you have some focus on at Cortica is also in e-commerce in sort of an image environment. So there's, again, another demo on the page of uh, someone clicking on a particular jacket uh, in a particular image and having a few very similar, if not the same brand, at least very visually similar jackets um, sort of be able to pop up on on the image. Talk a little bit about what you see as some of the future there, you know, where that could be useful. Obviously, I know you're focused a lot on mobile. Seems like to type in brown jacket and take the 30 seconds to do that without making any errors with your thumb on the subway is much harder than click the jacket, click the one of the four that you like, and then go check it out and see if you want to buy it. What excites you guys, and where do you see the possibilities of, of uh, that combination machine vision and, and shopping or e-commerce? Yeah, so, so first of all, we, we already believe that the amount of impressions of users of images is huge today on their mobile phone. Uh, and connecting those images to relevant content, making those images uh, more relevant, more engaging, is, is a very important task. It can be e-commerce, where you want to connect a specific image to a specific product, and it can be just uh, more information. You want to take a picture of a flower and get exactly what it is. And uh, we believe that today there is a strong use case for that, for images that are already on your device. Uh, for the next step in terms of the evolution of user experience, we think that it's more down the road. So, for example, for a user to point a camera to something, to, for example, another person or another object, it needs a more incentive. And I think there was a major development during last month, especially with the launch of you know, the Pokemon Go and yeah. all the augmented reality gaming yeah. stuff, where people will be more and more motivated to take pictures, not just for actually taking the picture or sharing it, but also for engaging with the physical world. And at that point, we, we believe that with the next generation, what actually many people wait for, like a visual search, we do believe it will start from gaming, though. Huh. Okay, so you, so you believe gaming will be kind of the jump off? Gaming with what, what will trigger the usage of, of this uh, technology, of the interface or the interaction between the physical world and the, the online. Yeah, I'm, I'm so excited about the applications beyond gaming, but I, I suppose we should all be grateful to, uh, to the gamers for pushing the limits of our technology through the years, whether it be 
uh, GPUs, uh, whether it be virtual reality, I think in, in many regards, certainly machine vision, the connect, all, all these technology developments just for the sake of games sort of open up a lot of interesting and fun possibilities. Yeah, and of course, there is a you know, utility use cases when you see something and it's very difficult to describe in words, but you want to find something similar. So it's not just a matter of just you know, removing the friction of typing. It's just a matter of it's impossible to find something like that. Yeah. And uh, I believe that in this area, uh, visual understanding is a key. Big time. Well, hopefully some of these insights have been useful for the folks tuned in who have an interest in where machine vision might hit the ground running to be able to pick your brain for some of the areas where you're optimistic and some of the approaches that you're taking. Uh, Egal, that's all the time that we have for today. But thanks so much for being here with us on the Tech Emergence podcast. Sure. Thank you. Thank you very much. That wraps up today's episode here on the Tech Emergence Podcast, and thanks for tuning in. If you'd like to stay in touch with our latest interviews with C-level executives and top researchers and thinkers in the domains of AI and the intersection of technology and intelligence, then make sure to subscribe here on iTunes or visit us on our main website at techemergence.com, where you can see all of our interviews broken down by category, as well as articles, news, market research, and trends in artificial intelligence. If you found this episode particularly thought-provoking, feel free to leave your thoughts in a review here on iTunes, or you can feel free to reach out to us at our main website. Thanks as always for tuning in, and I'll catch you next week.